Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. Morning. The Bible reading this morning is from Mark chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 35 to 41. About the Lord over all. Jesus calms the storm. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. All right, we're going to start this morning's teaching time with a bit of a survey. So I want you to put your hand up if you started your faith journey as an adult. If you started your faith journey as an adult, if your journey with Jesus started when you were, say, 16 or older, something there. Hands up high. Okay, now I want you to look around church and notice who here has started their faith journey not as a child or a young teenager, but now, okay, hands down. Who here started your faith journey as a teenager? So maybe between, say, 13, 16, 17. Hands up. Great. Thank you. Smaller group. Okay. Who here started your faith journey when you were between 8 and 12, 13, somewhere there? I'm going to put my hand up. I talked about that last week. So sort of the tween age kind of years, but a bit younger as well. Awesome. Who here started your faith journey when you were between zero and seven? Love it. Look around because it's, isn't it interesting to sort of realise, wow, we've all begun our journey with Christ at different stages of life. If you've grown up in the church, if you're one of the zero to seven, you know, or the, the, the next one up, the chances are that you have heard this story of Jesus calming the storm lots and lots and lots of times. Um, I know I have heard this story lots of times. I've heard it preached on lots of times. 
It appears in three of the Gospels. So it appears in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and it's well known. And stories that we find in more than one Gospel are stories that we often um, are drawn to and, and are drawn to, you know, our attention is drawn to them for good reason because three different biographers of Jesus have chosen to include it in their biography of him. And often when I've heard the passage preached, um, this passage of Jesus silencing, calming the storm with little single words, um, the big takeaway has been that Jesus calms the storms of our lives. Has anyone heard that message before? Great. Love it. So I'm not alone. Now, the message and the theme of Jesus bringing peace to the storm is profoundly biblical. And so there's absolutely nothing wrong with that message. But as I've been exploring this passage over the past couple of weeks, and I've been sort of preparing this message over two weeks because I was preaching last week, so I've sort of been dipping in and doing prep for two messages for the last couple of weeks um, to kind of get everything together. But I've really been drawn to this, this message that the passage speaks. And this message is that because Jesus is Lord... And, and that he is Lord and that that is actually the primary message that this passage communicates. We can have faith, not fear. Can you say faith, not fear? Faith, not fear. And there's this little thing that happens sometimes, um, this funny phrase that happens in our, in our society. I'm sure you've probably heard it before. It's not you, it's me. Is anyone, yeah, so sometimes it's used in dating scenarios where it's like you're trying to break up with someone and you're trying to not put the blame on them or make them feel that they're the cause of the breakup and you sometimes hear this thing in movies or real life, it's not you, it's me. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's so often um, that we make it, you know, things about ourselves. It's not about you, Jesus, this passage. It's about me and my storms and the things I'm facing. But before we look at ourselves and what Scripture speaks to us, it's so important if you're doing any Bible study or listening to God through Scripture to ask, what does this Scripture tell me about God? And this Scripture speaks so clearly about who God is, who Jesus is. Before we apply scripture to ourselves and and make some application or read our application in our Bible notes or, or whatever we're reading, it's so important, church, to look at him first, to look at God first and say, what do I learn about him? Because ultimately, faith journey is about God and bringing him glory and not the individualistic pursuit, which sometimes faith can take us in that direction where it just becomes about our own journey. But the big message of this passage is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that Jesus has arrived on the scene. And here in this passage, we meet a God who has made himself human and who is real in front of his followers, his disciples. And that Jesus' kingdom has come. And because Jesus is Lord, we can have faith, not fear. The passage is first and foremost about Jesus. And um, and so before we we think, you know, it's it's good to think with Scripture and we're good to think on Sundays when we do our preaching here at Willie about, you know, what is the takeaway for me? 
But church, I want us to look at Jesus this morning first before we look at ourselves. Such a good practice, such a helpful practice in a culture that is so obsessed with self. So what does this passage speak to us about Jesus? Before we apply it personally, let's look at what this passage speaks to us about the God that we serve. So let's picture the scene in this story. Um, It's a really exciting story. It's a story that moves really quickly. And if you miss a verse, you miss kind of the whole event of what happens with Jesus and the disciples in the boat. Um, I learned some things about the Sea of Galilee this week, and for those of you who have been around long enough to know Tex and Karen, who we farewelled some time ago um, because they have relocated, you will know that any time Tex got up here to preach, and he did lay preach every so often, he would tell you all about the geography. So I'm going to do a Tex moment and tell you a little bit about the geography of the Sea of Galilee. You see, the Sea of Galilee was really susceptible to big storms because it was positioned and nestled between all of these mountains around it. I was looking up some images this week on Google Images. It was really interesting to observe. And even in recent times, waves as high as 10 feet have been recorded on the sea. So this was no Williamstown Beach. This was no Altona Beach. Um, This was more like the kind of the waters you'd find in the wild open ocean. Now, when I was 20, um, I'd never been on a boat or, you know, anything like that. That wasn't something that I'd um, grown up with at all. But I had the opportunity to go on the Young Endeavour, which is a tall ship. It's 144 uh, feet long, that's right. And um, it's, a, it's a ship that young people go on and have an experience of, of, of that kind of um, sailing, but also personal development and, and lots of that sort of thing as well, which was incredible. Now, when we did our training to go on the Young Endeavour, and I went from Mackay to Gladstone in Queensland, one of the things that they told us was, and they showed us where we were going to be sleeping in these tiny little bunk beds, but they showed us this clip that we had to clip ourselves into to go to sleep at night, because you might fall off your bunk if you didn't clip yourself in. So we knew we were going to face some storms and, and some massive waves out there on the open ocean. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to sleep? If I need to clip myself in, how am I going to sleep on this ship? But one of the things that happened on the ship was that we had to take these turns and these, I couldn't remember the word church, so I'm sorry for any sailing people. They're these shifts, basically, where you had to wake up random times at 2 o'clock in the morning and you'd have to watch over the ship and the navigation and everything for, you know, six hours. So we did these shifts. So anyone that does shift work... Thank you, thank you, thank you. I did some creative Googling this week to try and find the word and I just couldn't find it. <laughs> so we did these watches and, um, and so we became really tired because anyone who's had children get you up in the middle of the night for days, weeks, months, we have now, um, or anyone who does shift work will know the intense exhaustion from being up at different hours of the day and the night. And there's a number of us here in our community who do that kind of work. I've got huge admiration. (laughs) It's very exhausting. And so on this ship, um, on the Young Endeavour, um, after I must have been about 24 hours, you know, I was ready for my sleep. I don't know what time of the day or night it was, but I clipped myself in and, you know, I slept. (laughs) I slept. And we were out, you know, in the very ocean, ocean of, you know, out there, out of Queensland, and absolutely could sleep, no issue. 
And Jesus, in this story, gets into a boat with his disciples. And the boat was probably a fifth of that size. It wasn't a ship. It was a boat, the story tells us. And in Mark's usual style, things move quickly. There's lots of, Mark, you know, tells us lots of immediately's and soon after. And, and things move fast. No sooner had they gotten into this boat, but there was a full-blown storm. And we know this because of how the disciples react in the story. Now, it's super important as well to note in this story that some of the context around boats and swimming and water, because unlike today, swimming in Jesus' time wasn't a leisure activity. I was talking to um, some people just this morning and they were telling us about how they yesterday were at um, swimming, having a swim as a family. I mean, today, if you head down to Willy Beach or if you get head down to Altona, you're going to find little nippers, you're going to find surf lifesavers, you're going to find families having a great time, boogie boarding, doing all kinds of stuff. And most people pretty comfortable with the water. In the first century, this just wasn't the case. This just wasn't something that was familiar to people. So if you were in a boat and you were in the first century, and if you thought that your boat might be sinking in rough seas, you were staring death in the face because you couldn't swim. This wasn't something that was familiar to most people. Now, this story's got some parallels to Mark 14, where we find the story of Jesus walking on the water, and in that story, Jesus invites Peter to get out of his boat and come to him on the water. Again, quite a well-known story. And Mark tells us in in that story that Peter got out of the boat And he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. So again, we get this picture. Swimming was not something that people knew. The the waters were scary and there was a sense of um, of, meeting death if you got in trouble by the water or in the water. And so it's the same here. The disciples all of a sudden are caught in this huge storm. The original text says, great storm, and they're fearing for their lives. Now, Mark tells us that somehow, probably due to his extreme exhaustion, the kind of exhaustion that perhaps I was experiencing when I was 20 and on that that ship, Young Endeavour, but probably so much more exhaustion, Jesus was sleeping. He was sleeping. Right here in Mark's Gospel, we meet a man, we meet our God, whose humanity is revealed to us in the fact that this huge storm has come up and Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping through it. He had become so tired from offering himself to others, being available to others, that he was exhausted. He was spent. And Mark adds this small detail Jesus was sleeping on a pillow, which I love. I just love that each of the Gospels, each of these biographies of Jesus add these details and we we can see that this is real, this is happening. Mark's recollecting what happened on this boat biography. And naturally, the disciples panic. This is legitimately a life-threatening and terrifying situation. And they are cross. They are cross with Jesus. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Can you hear it in their voices? Can you hear the sense of panic going on? The disciples have been tracking with Jesus now for some time. They've seen the signs and the wonders he's performing. 
And they're aware of his power and his authority. But like all of us, when we are in a situation of distress, of crisis, we panic, don't we? We panic. And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. The original text talk about, talks about this great storm and the word great is the same as great calm. So there's this contrast that Mark's trying to speak to. Great storm, great calm. And you know, when I sat back and thought about this week, I thought, God is the one who powers the storm and the one who brings the calm. And he's in control of it all. He's Lord of it all. And, and it's his power that is behind all of this that's taking place. They all display the power of God. So speaking before about the humanity of Jesus, but here the button that's pushed is the divinity of Jesus, the fact that Jesus has arrived on the scene and he is truly God. And the key to understanding this and this whole piece of Jesus' identity, which is a massive theme in Mark that we've been unpacking and will be unpacking as we continue to move through our series, The Crown and the Cross, But in verse 41, Mark tells us that the disciples were terrified. And another word there could be in awe, in awe. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? You see, if you lived in Jesus' day, you would know that Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people, was the only one who could command the wind and the waves to be silent. Yahweh was the only one who had authority over creation. And Jesus' disciples would have known their scriptures. They would have known the the Old Testament scriptures and, and the Psalms, which spoke so many times of this notion. Psalm 67 speaks of God our Saviour, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. And Psalm 89, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. This was Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people. And here... Jesus' disciples are beginning to get it. They're beginning to get it. Now, we all know, or most of us probably know, that this unfortunately isn't the breakthrough moment when the disciples fully get it and they're on board and they understand who Jesus is. That is far from the truth. The disciples are going to fail again and again to understand who Jesus is. And hey, doesn't that allow you and I a place in the story when we remember that it took the disciples so many times to understand who Jesus was? My discipleship is very often like that. And so we're invited into the story. If we're a disciple who feels like we fail again and again, welcome to the story. Welcome. You're part of it. But here in the boat, the disciples see something firsthand. They see that Jesus has to be, has to be this God, this Yahweh who has control over creation. This Jesus who is with them right here in the boat, who is sleeping in a storm and then quickly awoken by the disciples in their panic. Don't you care? This Jesus stills the storm by his very word, by a single word, silence. And Jesus demonstrates his power when nature and creation obey his command. 
It's no wonder they respond with, who is this? Can you imagine being one of the disciples and witnessing that happen? Who is this? The awe and the wonder in their voices. Now, in Lockie and my meeting this week, uh, Lockie was sharing that one of his new favourite versions of the Bible is the Holman's Christian Standard Bible. Um, Lockie, what was that? That's right. So I know a lot of us have different versions that we love. When I go and see Stella and Audrey, they say, oh, just read the King James. So I pull the King James up, ironically, on my phone, and I always read the King James with Audrey and Stella. But um, Lockie was sharing this week that he's got this new favourite Bible, ver- Bible um, version, which is a bit, bit obscure, but that's okay. That's Lockie. He's allowed his obscurities. And, um, and I was reading, though, in the HCSB, it says, who then is this? So who is this? Who then is this? And one of the versions of the Bible I like is NLT, and that says, who is this man? Who is this man? We can hear the the reaction, the emotion in their voices, the fear, the awe, the wonder, the terror, all of that mixed in to their words. And, you know, it reminds me of the centurion who right at the end of Mark's Gospel sees Jesus breathe his last breath on the cross and he says this, Surely, surely this man was the Son of God, a Roman centurion who sees Jesus for who he is, sees his and breathes his last breath and names it, nails it. This must have been God himself. But if this whole sign, this miracle, this wonder isn't enough on its own, to amaze us. There's another layer of meaning to this passage which I find super interesting. You see, in the Old Testament world, if you lived in that world, in the ancient Near East, it's often called, in Jesus' time even, the sea was a symbol of chaos. I'm seeing some nods. That's good. We all know that. That's good. Now, if I pulled up a YouTube clip of the sea, the roaring sea, and popped it up here on the screen, you might look at that and think about a cruise that you went on or a cruise that maybe you'd like to go on. You might think about the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. You might think about a fishing trip that you went on or love to go on or maybe something that you like to do in your spare time. You probably wouldn't look at a YouTube video of the ocean and think about chaos. But for us today, we have other symbols of chaos in our culture and in our time. An act of terror a natural disaster, a bushfire, a tsunami, a flood, or a drought. For people in the first century, the sea, the sea was a symbol of chaos. It was something that posed a threat to life and order, for those reasons I named earlier, of of people not being schooled in, in swimming and understanding the ocean and how to go about getting in and being in the ocean. And it was only God who controlled the wind and the waves, First century people didn't think of a human being being able to control the ocean. And so this is powerful. And we can lose some of that impact and that meaning because we do live in the 21st century and we don't always understand these things. But this is where understanding scripture and the layers behind a scripture is just so valuable. Because the big idea of this passage, Jesus is Lord, and so I can have faith, not fear. It just it absolutely hits home when we see what Jesus is doing. 
What Mark is getting at in recording this, um, this um, event of Jesus' sign of a wonder of Jesus is that God's kingdom is on the scene. God's kingdom has arrived. And in Jesus, in Jesus and in the empty tomb that he will leave behind, the forces of chaos will be defeated. Tom Wright puts it this way, the power of evil was broken on the cross and in the empty tomb. In this story, Jesus speaks a single word. But this miracle, this sign, Jesus performs, speaks a profound truth over all of our lives and, and over the lives of all of our neighbours and friends and people that live in Hobson's Bay and Melbourne and further afield. And that truth is this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all things, over all creation, over every power, whether it be a power of the light or power of darkness. And all things are under his lordship, whether we see it clearly or not. Now, I am a warrior. Now, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands, but I know that in this room there will be warriors. There will be people like me. And I wonder if that's you, whether you can identify with me that, you know, when something goes wrong, you just jump to the worst case scenario. Now, I'm kind of a bit of, a, um, a bit of both because I am a kind of a glass half full person. I'm an idealist. But when something goes wrong, particularly in my personal life, I just fret and I think, oh, no, this is going to happen and then that's going to happen. Um, and some time ago, I had an unusual blood test result. And the doctor called and over the phone said I needed to go back and have some more tests. And um, I've got this girlfriend, she's an anaesthetist, and so she's a doctor, and she always says, you know, to everyone, we joke around, we're all, you know, friends, girls who are friends, you know, never, ever, never go and see Dr. Google, which is where you jump on Google and write in, unusual blood test result, this is my result, what could that mean? Um, because it's so easy to jump on Dr. Google and then catastrophize your situation, okay, go to the worst case scenario. Now, that all worked out okay, um, thankfully. But the good news, in times of, of uncertainty, of, in times where we maybe you know, received news that we weren't expecting, is that we have a Jesus who is Lord of all things. And no power is stronger than his, his power and his love and his presence in the storm. There's little doubt we're living in an age of anxiety, an age of anxiety, and Beyond Blue tells us that one in four people, one in three women and one in five men are going to experience anxiety at some stage in their life. And anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia. <coughs> A few years ago, I came across, across this new term that I'd never heard before, and the term is non-anxious presence. It's a term coined by a Jewish rabbi and a family therapist. His name's Edwin Friedman. You might have heard of his books. And the term refers to a person who provides a confident, calm, poised focus, even in times of crisis. I wonder if you think you might be that person, or maybe you know that person. Now, I love this concept. It's actually quite biblical. I've been trying in my leadership, I learned about this concept a few years ago um, in a leadership course I did called Arrow, and I've been trying in my own leadership and my own life to live this out. When something happens that's completely crazy or you know, unexpected, have a poise, have a, have a moment. Where this is okay, we can work through this, uh, rather than the panic button situation, which um, so often me and others can easily go there. 
But the big message of this passage is not that we should have a non-anxious presence. That's certainly true. But the message of this passage is that God, Jesus, is our non-anxious presence. When Jesus is Lord, we can have faith and not fear. Because if you're trusting in the one who's Lord of all, you can look at the chaos in your life, and we all have chaos in our lives, and you can know that there is one who is sovereign over all. Now, you might be there thinking, if Jesus has all the power, why do things not go my way? Why do things not go my way? A bit like the disciples, don't you care if I drown? Don't you care, Jesus, about what we're going through? Wake up, pay attention, change the situation. How are we to think through the storms, the adversity, when Jesus doesn't immediately step in and bring a complete transformation to that situation like he did in Mark 4? Well, this is a huge question. It's a massive question. But a couple of thoughts. There is mystery, like the seed last week in our passage in Mark 4, which grows all on its own without our um, you know, cultivating. Like that seed, there is a mystery to how God works. There's a mystery in his timing and there's a mystery in his ways. And secondly, we live in the now and the not yet. We live in this season in time where Jesus has come and reigns over all things. But we await and anticipate a day when Jesus will come again to restore and make all things new. And as Revelation says, there's going to be no more crying or mourning or grief or illness because all of those things are going to have passed away. And so right now we live in this this window in time where we wait for that day. We live in a broken world, but we await a day when Jesus is going to renew all things and restore all that has been broken, all that is broken, all the chaos that you see around you now. But as we wait, the promise that we can cling to is this. Whether we see the storms of life be stilled here and now, or whether we are waiting and need to wait for Jesus' return for those storms of, of health or emotional brokenness or relational brokenness, all of those chaotic things in our lives, whether we need to wait for those to be restored, while we wait, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. He is with us in the storm. And um, just earlier this morning, I felt God kind of prompt me to ask this question, church. Is Jesus Lord of you all? And I mean individual. So is Jesus Lord of, of you all, all of you, all of the parts of you, all of the compartments of your life that perhaps you see? All of the, the things like Phil sharing earlier, you know, work things and deadlines and, and things that, that weigh on us. Is Jesus Lord of all of that? I was reading to Zoe last night um, and and doing stories with her and we've got this beautiful book called Found and it's a modern day kind of rendering of Psalm 23 which Jess drew from as she was sharing uh, over communion. But there's this page and it's actually a page that I I sometimes want to skip past because Zoe's only 21 months old and she's young. But on this page, right at the end, is the verse, you know, though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And in this beautiful book, it's something like, though, um, you know, though I might, 
you know, find life hard or feel lonely, something like that. But there's this profound image on the page. It's, it's all quite black on the page, and that's why I, I like, feel like I want to skip past that and let's just get to the good news that, that Jesus is the always loving, always there, and this beautiful phrase at the end, you know, the always there king who's, who's with us, right? But as I was skipping last night, I thought... But it's in the darkness, it's in the page that's almost all black, and it's a board book, it's aimed at toddlers, but it's in the all black page that actually the good news of Jesus is so real. And that as I'm sitting there with Zoe and as she's going to grow up and understand more of who he is, who God is, the good news is made real in the storm. And, and that as she grows over the next months and years, I'm going to be able to speak to her and we're going to speak to her about this God who in that blackness of the page, and it's very black, there's this shepherd and there's this sheep. And that shepherd is, is positioned, postured towards the sheep. And the good news of this passage and the good news of Psalm 23 is that Jesus is Lord in every season. And that if we are in the black, if we are in that, the season where the page is black, anxiety or, or depression or, or physical stuff that's going on, uh, uh, you know, it's test results that, that are unknown. And there's people in this congregation I know going through things like that because, because we're family and we, we, are, we are with one another in those things and we lean on one another. But I just want to read a couple of scriptures over us as I close. And these scriptures are from Colossians 1 and Romans 8. And these scriptures contain promises so whether we're in the black and that page or whether we've turned the page and we know that our always loving, always there God is with us, these promises are for us. So let's pray now. We're going to listen um, to these couple of scriptures as we close and as a way of just saying Holy Spirit minister to every person this morning and as a way of us receiving this Jesus who is Lord of all. So I'm just going to pray these scriptures over us, church. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, we receive this good news that you are Lord of all. And we ask you to move us from fear to faith this morning, in this moment. Holy Spirit. Would you minister to every single heart? Minister to us as a one body that we might be a church full of faith and not fear. And from Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Amen.